Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the Eagles are in the midst of their first losing streak in two years as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 149. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about what we saw on film in the Eagles' 23-21 loss against the Minnesota Vikings. Greg and I both share our thoughts on this week's game before transitioning to the matchup against the New York Giants here on Thursday night. Next up, we'll transition my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on a guy that I broke down for two springs ago coming out of Alabama, defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson of New York. He's a very disruptive player in that defensive front for the G-Men, and I want to focus in on his development so far in the NFL. But before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles and their loss to Minnesota and to preview next week's game against the Giants. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back to the NovaCare Complex. It's only been a few hours since uh, our last visit as we watched the Eagles That's right. uh, lose in disheartening fashion to the Minnesota Vikings here on Sunday afternoon. But Quick turnaround, as they say in the biz, Greg. Because uh, yeah, Thursday nighter, big Thursday night game here this week, and uh, against the New York Giants, big uh, their first divisional game yeah. for the Eagles this season. But before we get into that matchup, let's first just kind of discuss our thoughts and what we saw here on film on Monday morning, watching what we saw on Sunday live. What were your initial thoughts? Let's start on well, offense. Before we do that, I just want to let you know I, wor- I was working out today because I think there's a running back need. So I'm hoping I get a phone call. I spoke to my agent today. I, look, it's not an ideal scenario, but my guess would be that if your phone rang, we were in dire straits. Well, like, that would be correct. That would be really bad. <laughs> Knowing what I know, right, that would be right, very, right, very right. bad. Hey, wait uh, a second. I did run a 4-8-40 in college because we got time for baseball. Really? I did. It's pretty impressive. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago, though. That was a long time ago. All right, a lot of film watching since yeah, then. Yeah, yes, yes. A lot of sitting around. Yeah, too right. Too much. All right, so, uh, so tell us now, watching this Eagles offense – uh, just your overall thoughts, you know, because it was it was tough to watch. You know, they they because at times they looked like they were able to get into a rhythm, and then something cost them, and they either turned the ball over or they had a crucial mistake that either put them out of field goal range Whoa. or forced them to settle for three. I mean, those are the things that honestly, those are the things that bad teams do, right. and those are things that we've seen now through the first few weeks here with well, this Eagles offense. I think there's two ways to look at the Eagles offense, and we sort of addressed that over the last couple of weeks. And one is sort of the the micro, meaning you can look at the specific game and say, hey, if a couple of things went differently, they could have won the game. And, hey, there's only 16 of them, and that's a win, and we'd move on, and we'd all be happy. You probably addressed a lot of those on Eagles.com, those specific situations. Yep. Whether it's a J.H.I. fumble in the red zone, whether it's some pre-snap penalties, you know, those kinds of micro things getting into the weeds of specific plays. Yes. Then there's the macro way to look at it, which gets into sort of the larger issues that have been permeating, I think, basically since week one. So what are those for you? 
I think the offensive line play has still remains a little bit of an issue, and it has to get cleaned up because, as I said, you know, in, in taking my notes today watching them, I said that the Eagles will be challenged with pressure looks and blitz schemes until they get their pass protection issues cleaned up, and that's going to happen. That's the way it works in the NFL. And it's going to continue to happen. Until they get it cleaned right. up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's going to need to be cleaned up. Now, everybody is going to focus on third down because last year they were the number one third down offense in the NFL, and this year they're in the bottom half. So what I did today is I went back and I looked at all their third downs in the three games Carson Wentz has played, and he's been in third down 42 times. Okay, The average yards to go on those third downs is eight. Yeah, It's really difficult to convert third down when it's third and eight all the time. And they converted at like a freakishly high level last year in those scenarios, but that was like something that was, you you can't repeat that. You can't that. do that. You it's can't like, count on it's that. It's like turnovers. When right. a team leads the NFL in turnovers, you can't, the coaching staff can't count on, hey, we're going to lead the league in turnovers again this year. Right. It, th- those things you can't count on. Yeah. But the bottom line point is, third and eights are not the the defense has the advantage when it's third and eight. It was Let's third. It, it was third and seven yesterday. It was third and ten on average the week before. Right. Those those are just those. Are, that's not winning football. No. And th- those happen because you know those pre snap penalties, those drops, right. The negative runs on early right. downs. A lot of those things lead to you know you being behind the sticks, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in third and unmanageable. Right. And then you're putting too much pressure on your offense because. When you have pass protection issues and it gets into third and long, most coaches would tell you that the defense has the tactical advantage on third and long anyway because that's when all the different looks, the different personnel packages, the different pressure schemes come into play. Of course. And if your offensive line is then struggling with protection, that just aggravates the issue and and exacerbates it and makes it far, far more difficult. No question. I mean, it's easy to say when it's third and 20, all the protection's got to be better, but when the defense is pinning their ears back, it makes it that much more difficult. Offensive linemen are already at a disadvantage more often than not athletically in one-on-one matchups with defensive linemen. That's just the nature of the league. But when you then give them the added advantage of saying, yeah, this is going to be a pass. This is third and twenty. They're passing the right. ball because that's the other thing. A lot of teams around the league, when it's third and when it's third and nine, they're running a draw. They're running. They're, they're handing the ball off. It'll be inside zone, and it's almost just a, a give me down. But with the Eagles, they're, it's third and twenty. Carson Wentz is throwing this ball down the well, seam. And, and the reality is, as you know, even if it's third and nine, okay, the playbook is a lot less. The, the play choices when it's third and nine on the call sheet are less than when it's third and four. Right. Yep. And that's what a lot of people may not realize. But when it's third and four, the playbook's fairly wide open. When it's third and nine, it gets cut down. Yeah, and look at yesterday's passing numbers. Carson Wentz, who was outstanding on third down a year ago, just like you alluded to, uh, they were three of seven. He was three of seven for 40 yards on third down yesterday. No touchdowns, no picks, one sack on third down. Uh, just, you know, they, they haven't been able to be successful in the most crucial down in football. Um, let's look to uh, to the red zone, and I think you can point to a lot of the same things. I mean, they were two for five in the red yep. zone uh, yesterday. They're one of the worst teams in the red zone so far this season. Their uh, their touchdown efficiency is 18th. Uh, the scoring efficiency is relatively high. They are converting thanks to you know Jake Elliott is hitting those field goals, but you know overall they're just not able to convert inside the 20, and that's and no. that's come back to hurt them in a number of these games. Well, and I also think that one of the issues too, and and, and we're not going to put this all on Carson Wentz, obviously. But I think the run game has not been as efficient as it was a year ago. Yeah. I think that that's a factor as well. Yeah, and I think, look, you know, uh, we were looking at the numbers this week. And, look, the, this, this past game against Minnesota, 
the Eagles ran the football six times in the first half. That was the fewest since Doug Peterson became the head coach. Um, last, the previous low before that was last week against Tennessee when they ran eight times in the first half. And I think that when you look at it and you say, yeah, you know, they need to run the ball more. And, I, and Doug knows, yeah, they need to run the ball. Doug has shown that he's a coach that understands the value of a good run right. game. He's shown that already here right. uh, through two years plus. But I think when you look at from the other side as well, and you look at, at look in this backfield, you had Jay Ajayi at the time who was nursing a, a fracture in his back, and you know more power. The fact that he gutted it out as right. long as he did is, is extremely admirable. Uh, you have Wendell Smallwood. You don't have Corey Clement. You don't have Darren Sproles. You have another undrafted free agent in Josh Adams who you know you can't rely. You may like him for the future, but you can't rely on him now. An offensive line that's not playing particularly well at this point. And a short week. And a short, yeah. Like I, I think <laughs> right. I, you kind of say, like, all right, like I get why the numbers are lower. You'd like them to be higher. And also, also he actually made a good point today too that RPOs kind of throw that off as well. They may right. call an RPO right. that it could be a run, and it's actually a pass. Well, but it was not a good start to the game on the first play when they called the RPO. It was an RPO. It didn't go well. And uh, and Xavier Rhodes was right in Alshon Jeffrey's grill. Yeah, yeah, yes, that that didn't that didn't no. go well. Um, but I, I think when you just look at this run game, I agree. It's got to be more productive, um, and hopefully you get Corey Clement back this week. We'll see. Uh, you know what he's at from a health standpoint. That's why I have no idea. That's yeah, what we'll, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Week and yeah, yeah. So uh, he was active, but did not did not play an offensive snap right. uh, in the game against Minnesota. So uh, certainly something to watch. Look, without Jay Ajayi, um, you know, you go into this game, you've got Wendell and you've got Josh Adams. My guess is you're hoping that Clement was active this week. And maybe he was in a situation where he's only playing in case of dire emergency. Um, you're hoping that hopefully but he can come back and play. given a dire situation, Clement, to me, of the backs, is probably the the best suited to take on a bigger role running the football. Yeah, no question. So you really want him to be healthy as you continue the season. Yeah, it's and it's just interesting just looking at these stats. I mean, the, the Eagles are they're top five in five-minute drives. Like They've shown the ability to grind it out. They just haven't been able to finish in certain spots, and and that's that's just something that, again, it comes down to. It's not a a, a black and white thing where you say, "Yep, that's the reason why." No, that's well, that's exactly what never, the problem that's is. That's never the case I'm, when a team is struggling. Yeah, no question, right. and it's never the reason when the teams are successful either. But. No, right, right. That's correct. <laughs> One more question offensively. Uh, what do you think of Isaac Samalo? I thought he was up and down. Yeah, I thought he. I thought you know, he was. Thought, he struggled a little bit early. I thought overall, I'd give him a plus as yeah. opposed to a minus. Yep, I'd agree. Uh, obviously, uh, early on, I think it was the first third down when he was driven right back. Uh, and the first play the of the game, it didn't go well right, either. Right, yeah, right, first right. the first two two of the first three plays didn't go right. well. And he had a couple of other not not great snaps. Sure, but I would say overall, because I was taking a look at him on on most plays. I thought he held up as the game progressed. He clearly held up. Yeah, no, I thought he. Had, I thought he had a pretty good debut. Um, all right, let's go to defense because, you know, it's easy, especially with how things have gone over the last few weeks, to say, oh, you know, the defense isn't playing well, all the big plays. I'll tell you, like, going, going watching the defensive ba- the film back, I didn't feel like it was a bad game. I know, I know that the, the Vikings, they, what did they force, three punts? Like, you know, the Vikings didn't necessarily, uh, you know, get stopped at any point. And it's you could a, argue Cousins made some big-time throws. He was, he was very good. Yes, he was very good in the game. Yeah. Cousins was very good. But, you know, watching it, the touchdown that they scored was off a short field. They got the ball at the 44-yard line or the 45-yard line and was helped by that penalty on Michael Bennett, which you know arguably wasn't a penalty. Right. But they scored a touchdown on the short field. Um, the other touchdown, obviously, was on the fumble recovery by Linval Joseph. The field goals that they scored weren't off long drives outside of the, the <coughs> one that came off the right. uh, the sluggo route to, to Thielen. I mean, overall, they 
I think the defense kind of held up their end of the bargain. The, the, the rush was good. Outside of the one deep deep ball on the, uh, the double move, I thought the coverage was good. I thought Avante Maddox uh, showed up pretty well in his debut as a starter. The defense, I thought, played fairly well against this offense. You know, there's always a few plays that you can point to, but I think overall the defense did not play poorly. Uh, when you're, the, the problem is, as you know, Fran, when your offense is not putting up enough points for whatever reason, then the defense, every play becomes magnified. Yeah. So you look at the Thielen 68-yarder. You look at you know the Diggs 24-yarder, which I think came right after it. Yes, uh, on the Sluggo scene. Right, yep. right. You know, I think that you look at plays like that and you think, oh my God, they're just getting killed. But you know, Cousins did complete 30 balls, but only for about 300 yards. So other than the 68-yarder to Thielen, really, and a couple of others, you know, it wasn't a lot of downfield passing. He was 12 of 13 on first down, Cousins. Yeah. And the, for the only incompletion came like late in the third quarter. It was the one that he sailed it almost you know through the pick. For how many yards? For 187 yards, 118.8 well, QB. Well, that's because of the 68 yarder yeah. by uh, Thielen. By Thielen, and then yeah. the Diggs 24 yarder on the next play. Right. So you're talking about 92 of those yards coming on two plays. Yeah. But hey, they count. Yep. I mean, but I mean, also the that's that leaves you with 10 catches for 90 yards after that. So right. still nine yards and, per reception. And again, you know how it works, man. When you lose. You start looking at individual plays because one could argue that that long pass to Thielen from the what the three or four yard line yep. that's where they were. Yeah. You could argue that was the biggest play in the game because the Eagles was the score. It was the opening drive. The Eagles were down fourteen to three. It was the opening drive of the third quarter. They right. drive down. That was the fumble from Ajayi right. on the five yard line. That was the first play after. That was the first play. So after. let's assume even with the fumble, it's easy to say, "Wow, that took the air out of their sails." That's easy now that we know what happened in the game. But if they force the Vikings to go three and out and punt there, they still have great field position more than likely, and they're and arguably they're right back in the game. Yeah. So you could argue the sixty-eight yard play and that drive, which did end in. Touchdown, a uh, field goal or a touchdown? Uh, field goal. Field goal. But, I mean, you had the two big plays, the 68-yarder. Yep. But the 68-yarder, you could argue, was the biggest play in the game. Yeah, And, and, I, and that was a big-time under-duress throw by Cousins. I think field position has been an area that has kind of gone under the radar that the, the, the Eagles last year, they were in top third, I think in top five right. in the NFL, in starting field position and then opposing starting field position, meaning that the, the offense was putting the defense in good spots and the defense was putting the offense in good spots. And this year they're in the bottom third in the league in both categories. Where do they stand? You do the numbers more than I do. Where do they stand as far as turnovers? I don't feel like they're getting a lot of turnovers. You have have five total takeaways. I don't know where that ranks in the league. I know the the differential is minus four, and that's tied for 28th in the league. Yeah, but it's only five turnovers in five games. That's another area where, again, I I don't remember the exact number from last year, but it seems just remembering that they created more turnovers. Yeah, the sacks are middle of the road. It's tied yeah. for 16th. Only two sacks on third down so far this year. I mean, we, Last year we used to talk about how good they were on third down. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, you know, all these things add up. You know, and, and like I said, it would, you can still come back to a few plays here and there, but that's the way teams that are 2-3 and three talk. No question. And I think the, the big question now for Eagles fans is, what needs to happen to fix it? And I think when you, when, just like we talked about the offense, the it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, they just need to be more consistent. That's true. Well, yeah, but, which is a meaningless thing. Right, I know. Yeah. But uh, you look at it, and the devil really is in the details. Right. And you look at, from across the board, position by position, there are just 
examples of sloppy play, whether it's defensive linemen getting lost in rush lanes and Marcus Mariota breaking for a, a long scramble late in the game. Uh, you know, this, the, we talked about the lapses in the secondary. Right. We've talked about you know the drops at wide receiver, guys not lining up right. I mean, those are, across the board, the guys just have to get that stuff straightened out. And I, you know, I think that's going to be the way that the coaches are kind of preaching it this week. Yeah, I mean, the one thing coaches can't stand are mental mistakes. If a guy gets beat, he gets beat. You know, if a guy gives up a sack, hey, you work on the technique and all that, but a guy gets beat. It's the mental mistakes that, that drive coaches crazy. And there certainly seem to be more this year than there were a year ago. Did you get an overall feel for uh, Avante Maddox at free safety? <coughs> you know, I, I, he played literally single high in every play, with the exception of early in the game when he blitzed. They played more cover two this week, by the way. It seemed like I didn't so, chart it, but uh, it seemed like they played a little bit more too high, a little bit more. I, I would say a, a little bit is relative. I mean, it wasn't like they played twenty snaps. It may have been relative to the opponent as well, right? Because right. you know, that's but I mean, I thought that. I mean, I made a note that they played a ton of um, of, of single high. Continued to be a high percentage single high safety. Uh, defense with Maddox, the free safety on almost every snap that you get cover three and cover one from the Eagles. I actually thought they played a little more man this week. Mm. Yes, I would, which I would agree with that. Which function of the score that sure. they needed to try to be a little more aggressive. So Maddox, it was tough for me to tell. You know, I, I felt like I was watching a college free safety, Fran, and you know we have this mm. conversation where not a lot happened for him. Right, yep. I mean, he didn't do anything egregious where you went, oh my God, he blew that. Yep. But he was playing free safety. And they didn't really push the Vikings didn't really push the ball down the field a whole lot. Right. Let's talk about this matchup this week. Uh, Thursday night, short week. New York Giants. Um, they lose uh, a tough one uh, in Carolina this week uh, with a 63-yard field goal. Uh, some shades of what we saw in Week Three last year against this Eagles team. Let's talk about this offense though, because this offense is much different than the one we saw last year. Uh, from for a couple of different reasons that I think that there are some similarities in the way that Pat Shermer wants to play. It's a lot of the shallow crosses and stuff like yes. that. But when you factor in the addition of a guy like Saquon Barkley and their complete remake of an offensive line, I think that there's a little bit of a different identity with this team compared to the ones we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, obviously there are certain routes that everybody runs, you know, the slants and the, the slant flat and all that, that they still run. Everybody runs them for the most part. But I think it's it's an offense that looks a little different. Um, you know, Barkley gives them a, a different dimension. I guess I've been surprised through five games that he hasn't been handed the ball in the backfield a little bit more, mm. particularly since they've played some close games. Yeah. You know, it's not as if they've been down and they couldn't hand the ball off. And he's a guy physically that can handle it from a right. physical standpoint. He's an interesting runner, Fran. I mean, I made this note watching him. I said, and I thought this when I watched his college team. Penn State, yep. Uh, that he's more of a reactionary runner running away from opposing color rather than a roadmap point of attack runner. And so ex- explain that for us. So says, Specifically the last part. Every play is designed to hit a, a relatively designated hole, the point of attack. Okay, now, depending on the run, I, it, I don't mean that you have to hit you know an area with six right. inches, but every run is designed to hit something, particularly gap scheme runs. If you're going to run power where you pull the guard or counter, those kinds of runs are designed to hit a particular spot. And backs will follow that roadmap to the point of attack and they will work from there. Now, if the point of attack is totally blocked, that's different. Barkley is the kind of guy that unless he gets a really clear picture, he's looking to run away from people. You know, he can do it. 
which he's capable yep. of. But at this point, and I thought it showed up at Penn State as well, at this point, he's not a three, four, five yard back. He's a minus two, 20 yard back. Yep. And I think there was no better example than the game we just saw against Carolina, where he had two rushes for 50 yards and his other 13 rushes netted minus two. Now, I made it a point to look at his runs carefully, and there were three or four of them where he needed to hit the hole. Now, they wouldn't have been 20-yard gains, but they might have been four-yard gains. Sure. And in the NFL, that matters. Yeah. Second and six is a different animal than second and 12. I'm sure that's something they're probably going to be trying to work through with him as his career progresses. But you don't know. But you wonder how much of that can be corrected because you also don't want to take away that we've talked yeah. about this with the court with quarterbacks we talk yeah. about with like a guy like Aaron Rodgers right. who plays so much out of structure yeah. a guy like Russell Wilson you don't want to harness that in because that's what makes them the player they are but they've got the physical tools to kind of overcome it, those it, as it's, well it's a tough deal I mean I'm not a coach so I'm not going to presume to have a, a real smart answer for this but at the end of the day if you're going to build an offense theoretically around a back, okay, which they haven't quite done, but let's assume... They're 28th in the league in yards per game, 23rd in yards per carry, so they're not a run team right now. No, but let's assume they want to work toward that. Yep. Then your back has to be a sustainer, not just a big play guy. Right. He has to be a sustainer. So it's going to be interesting going forward. And then from a draft capital standpoint, you you spent the number two pick on him, you would think, to be that guy. Right. So that's, that's the other aspect of this, is you passed on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and all those other guys. Right, and, and that's fine. I mean, there are a lot of people who thought Barkley was the best player in the draft. Of that's course. fine. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm not going to debate that. We've, that debate has been had over and over and over. Sure. But the point is, I would assume they want him to ultimately become the foundation because his skill set as a runner and a receiver, the receiving part is critical. But he's he just you have to be a sustainer if you're going to be a foundation back. Well, and let's talk about it as a receiver because I think that that's an area where as soon as they made the pick, you think, all right, and he goes now into a lineup with Odell Beckham Jr., with Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, who's a really nice complimentary oh, yeah. piece as well. That gives, you, that gives you the ability to go empty, and they have. They've right, gone empty, and they've right. got a lot of big plays out of empty by spreading defenses out and forcing you to play matchups. Right, and they do that with Barkley, who normally when they go empty is the outside receiver to the short side of the field. But if you want to go man, you get a linebacker on him. Yeah. So and he can beat linebackers, and they've taken their shots with him. Um, but it also allows someone like Sterling Shepard to work in the middle of the field. You know, who's and he's very good. Um, Caught a nice uh, was it a, a big box fade this past week out of, out of an empty right, look. Yeah. Right. And they also run what you know. I'm so used to seeing the Patriots do, uh, the Patriots do with Brady under center. But it's basically power. You know, it's quick game. You know, bang play action yep. with a power look. They yep. hit Shepard this week, I believe, for 28 yards. Yep. You know, they do those kinds of things, which really put your, your linebackers in a run-pass conflict. No question. And then they turned around and then picked one off later on in the, uh, right. in the game, too. Right. Which was, which and, and nice you know, play. that's what teams are doing now. It seems like the league has evolved. In, in There's different ways to do it, whether it's run-pass options, whether it's the kind of play we just spoke about, where you're trying to put linebackers in conflict. I mean, you could argue that there was a play where um, this week where Diggs was hit on a shallow crosser and ran for 24 yards. Yeah, early in the game, yep. Bradham was put in a run-pass conflict on yeah. that play. It was a stretch, it was stretched to the right. Right. It was a shotgun stretch run to the right, yeah. and he played from hard from the back side, but Diggs was coming from the opposite side and was wide right. open because Bradham was put in a tough spot. He was, he's, you're challenging his run-pass conflict. Yeah, no you question. Know, and that's what teams do. So there's many ways to do that. 
but that seems to be the way the NFL is going by sort of putting defenders in conflict. And, we, and when it's obvious, we all know, like you say, oh, in a zone read, you put a defender in conflict. Yeah, that's the obvious way to do it, or an RPO. But there's many other ways to do that. And I think that Pat Shermer's offense, that's kind of – there's a lot of those West Coast principles. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the, you know, the shallow crosses. You're seeing slant flat. You're seeing those wraps over the middle of the field. You're seeing the smash. You're seeing the mesh, con- mesh concept. You're seeing them take those underneath defenders, and you're constantly putting them in high-low reads yeah. and you different things where you're giving them things in front of them to try and hit something behind. Ultimately, you're putting them in conflict and trying to see where they're not going right. to go. Uh, so that's really what that offense is all based off of. Let's talk a little bit more about the personnel as well. Uh, wide receiver, you got Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and Sterling Shepard. You talked a little bit about Shepard. How has Beckham used so far in this offense? Has it been about what you expected when Shermer got hired? Pretty much. I mean, I think he's running you know, routes at all three levels. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he's a great route runner. He's got tremendous quickness. We saw him get vertical for the touchdown Yep. Uh, against, uh, I believe it was cover four. Yep, um, I believe so. It was either yeah. cover three or cover four. I think four. it was cover yeah. four, yep. and Mike Adams kind of yeah. made a mistake. Hung the corner yeah, of the drive. Yeah, yep. yeah, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, he's he's a special receiver, and he's a, he's a tough – He's a tough matchup, and they're going to have to be very, very leery this week of the double moves because they, you know, he'll do that. Yeah, I know he's great at he's that. He's great it's at been them. a little bit of an issue. Yeah, uh, and Sterling Shepard, same deal. We'll, yeah. we'll run those similar routes uh, whether he's inside and or in the slot. Of course, you watch the kid uh, Davis, I believe, from Bethune Cookman. You probably watched every one of his snaps at yeah. Bethune Cookman. Every single one. I have no idea who that is. I I, I didn't watch him at all. I had to look um, him up to be honest. Yeah, no, I've got nothing there. Yeah. Ja, you're talking about uh, Jawil ja Davis. Who was their number three this week? Yeah. Well, you're, well you're Russell Shepard as well. Sure, right. But Davis got a lot of snaps. Yeah, I, I've got no idea. Yeah. I don't know what, what kind of work I've been doing all, all this year. I know. I'm clearly know. slacking on I, the Jawil Davis. you got to look at the guys from Bethune Cookman, Uh So, offensive line completely reworked. There's reports now that they're, they're, they're going to release Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll see if anybody decides they want to trade for him and his contract. Um, but Chad Wheeler at right tackle, Patrick Omama at right guard, John Greco at center, yep. the rookie Will Hernandez at left guard, Nate Solder at left tackle. Five new starters for this Giants offensive line from what we saw when we last saw this team. Just your overall thoughts on this field because – Look, I, I wasn't the biggest Hernandez guy. This kid looks—he looks pretty good, especially when they pull. You know, the, whether it's power he's counter, in the run game. man, he's really good in the move yeah, in the, he's in the run, good game. In the run game. Yeah, no question. I think in the past game, they're a work in progress right now. Yeah, I think. And Eli is the kind of quarterback that when there's bodies around him, we know that he has a hard time. Mm. And there's too many bodies around him. They're, they're a work in progress in pass protection. Although I've looked at Wheeler in his two starts, and the first was against J.J. Watt, and obviously he had some bad snaps. Which you would expect, of course. But I think he's—I think this past week he kind of hung in there. Wheeler, the issue with him at USC wasn't talent. I mean, he was considered to be a first or second round talent early right. in his career, and right. then he had—he had other issues that caused him to go uh, undrafted. But I mean, he's a talented kid, yeah. big kid with light feet. Um, yeah, there you go. It'll be interesting just to watch these matchups. You're hoping, look, this. This is going to be another game where the ball is going to come out quickly. Yeah. Uh, Eli Manning, overall thoughts on <clears throat> kind of where he's at at this point in his career? Very erratic, very up and down. Accuracy is, is an issue. Um, there's throws to be made that he doesn't make, and then all of a sudden he'll make some great throws. You know, he's he's sort of settled into being kind of an inconsistent, you're not sure what you're going to get kind of quarterback. Consistently but, inconsistent. Yes, but can be great. Right, sure, at any given point. Exactly, and that's, you know, and we've seen that. We've seen and, that in the last two games yeah, he's played the Eagles. Exactly, you know, he can be great. And, and you, you have to prepare for him as if that's the case. 
completely new defensive identity uh, here this year with, yes. the, with the Giants because you, you take in James Betcher uh, and his scheme that they've been using down in Arizona for the last few years. Uh, so it's a base 3-4, primarily nickel defense. We do see some dime. We saw a lot of There's dime this weekend. Some big nickel as well yep, some Michael big, Thomas. No question. So, uh, There's you two see, different nickels. Yep, two different. So it's a high, high sub-package defense. Yes. What, what do you see from a personnel standpoint when you watch them in their sub-package? Um. You know, I think let, let's go with the, with the, the pass sub package, which they play more than the quote unquote sure. run sub package. So that means the linebackers are Ray Ray Armstrong and Alec Ogletree. And the the, the issue they're having now is with Olivier Vernon out, they don't have any any kind of real pass rush. Yep. Certainly no edge pass rush because their two edge pass rushers are predominantly Martin number ninety six and the rookie Lorenzo Carter from Georgia, who is very far from being a quality pass rusher at this point in his career. Very long, athletic kid, but not yet ready to be an edge pass rusher in the NFL. So that's an issue they're having. But James Betcher has chosen not to be a high-percentage blitzer at this point. He was far more so in Arizona, but the Giants are not a high-percentage blitz defense. Yeah, and I think uh, I kind of expect them to be a little bit more uh, from what we've seen from them in the past, but for all those reasons, I agree. I think that's and, kind of what we're seeing. But now what we're you're seeing. playing, as we've discussed, an offense that's struggling a bit with protection, both yep. one-on-one and conceptually, and he may decide to up his blitz frequency on Thursday night. Yeah, and you've got a guy that, look, Landon Collins um, is a for all of you know some of the things that I would say are wrong about his game, he's an outstanding blitzer. He's really yes. good getting after. He's the a very versatile guy. They use him in a variety of ways. No question. Um, you know, so you look at Landon Collins in that secondary. Uh, B.W. Webb, who's kind of been bounced around the league a little he's their bit. Slot. He's their nickel corner. Uh, Eli Apple, a former first round pick, is starting. He came back into the lineup this week after missing a couple weeks with injury. Janoris Jenkins is their guy. He's their number one guy. They kind of shadow him against opposing number ones. Will that be Jeffrey? I mean, you think I would assume they would probably. Do that. Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and then when you look at uh, up front, look, they're they're missing Olivier Vernon, like you mentioned, but uh, in on the interior, Damon Harrison and Dalvin Thompson is is a good duo. Yes. That's a, that's a and tough even group the rookie, to move. Uh, is it from BJ Hill. Hill from NC State. Yeah, he, he's actually played well. He yeah. shows up on film. Plays inside yeah. and outside for them, um, you know, and used in a lot of different ways. So, uh, an interesting group for sure, and, and it's something that you know you're going to see a little bit of everything. The Eagles are going to bring their man beaters out. I would imagine this yes. week. Uh, you know, it's a heavy man coverage scheme. So, what are the kinds and, of things and you, you have expect? to prepare? Because James Betcher, as we know from Arizona, and the Eagles played the Cardinals quite a bit when when yep. he was there. He's got a lot in his toolbox, Fran. And, and even though he hasn't used it all yet with the Giants for any number of reasons, teaching a new system, maybe he doesn't feel the players, or, you know, whatever. Yep. The point is, though, you have to be prepared for that because he can whip that stuff out at any time. And certainly the Eagles' vulnerability and susceptibility to pressure concepts through five weeks suggests that James Betcher could, could whip out some more pressure schemes. No question. And it's, you know, watching, I went back and I watched uh, last year's matchup between the Cardinals and the Eagles, and it, obviously that was a huge day for the Eagles' offense. Oh, I remember day. that. That was a like 34-7 yeah, game. It was, we, it was yeah. week five last year. Carson threw for a bajillion yards yeah, and yeah. a bunch of big touchdowns. Uh, but it was heavy man coverage. It was a lot of different he, pressure he schemes. He doesn't play as much man right now as he did. He as still the, plays man. And I think that's probably due to the personnel, yeah. especially with the injuries. Because until Apple came back this right. week, you know, they, they I was, think he was struggling a bit because they moved Webb outside and they played Dion inside. Yep. So I think he, he might have felt that he didn't have the horses to play a lot of man. Yep. So 
Uh, certainly going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch this matchup, uh, a quick turnaround here, Thursday Night Football. Greg, looking forward to watching it here uh, with you at the NovaCare Complex, and we'll talk to you here next week. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to highlight two comments this week from our Apple Podcast page. First off, Austin Gams checked in with a five-star rating and talked about how much he enjoys the podcast. Thank you, Austin. And don't worry, we'll be getting more guests from the team this offseason. M. Bach left a comment as well with a five-star review saying how much they've learned listening to the show over the last few years. M. Bach, I can't thank you enough for the comments and very kind words in that review. And let me just say, we're at that time of year. Football season's in full swing. There are a lot of podcasts right now, Eagles podcasts, football podcasts. The best way to throw us some support, I don't ask for money. I don't ask for you to sign up for anything. I don't ask you to sign up for subscriptions or email newsletters. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You know, Leave us that rating. Leave us that comment. If you've never done it before, your rating is so important for us because it just helps to spread the word. It boosts us up the rankings, lets us get noticed a little bit more for other fans that are looking for that next great football podcast. So even if you left a comment already, go ahead. Just leave another one again. You know you can guarantee a spot on an upcoming show if you leave a question. And you can always go over and jump right on to the front of the line over on the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. That podcast has been up and running. That's going at full tilt. So your ratings and reviews on that show are greatly appreciated as well. So shout out to Austin Gams, Mbach, and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I jumped on the Eagles Live podcast over the weekend with Dave Spadaro. Uh, You can always check that out for great insight. And I know Dave's got a lot of stuff brewing for this week's show as we preview uh, the Giants matchup here on Thursday night. Dave, I know, always get some exclusive interviews with Doug Peterson. I know he chatted with with Coach here today one-on-one, so that's certainly something you can expect to see on Thursday when that show hits the uh, hits the airwave. So, all right, let's keep this show going here. Earlier, I told you we would dive into Giants defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson and my notes on him coming out of Alabama back in 2017. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Dalvin Tomlinson coming out with 6027, so 62 and 7 eighths. 310 pounds, pretty decent size. He was a one-year starter at defensive end for Jeremy Pruitt in that 3-4 scheme for Alabama under Nick Saban. Lined up as a 4-I or a 5-technique in base, so typically over the tackle in that 3-4 scheme, typical 3-4 defensive end alignment, mostly as well as a 1 or a 0 or as a 3-technique in their different sub-packages. So he did have some experience playing in some one-gap techniques, which helped him last year in their 4-3 scheme in New York because he was able to kind of shoot gaps and still be a run stuffer, but still lined up in some different techniques. So he had that versatility coming out of Alabama. He was a steady part of the D-line rotation before he was a starter. So even going back to 2015, he was a backup to Ashawn Robinson at right defensive end. He's a thick kid. He's got long arms, solid snap anticipation. He was always one of the first guys for the Crimson Tide off the football. 
uh, as a pass rusher. He wanted to win with power and leverage. His go-to move was a straight bull rush, which he did complement with a push-pull move, so he did have a little bit of a counter there. Uh, against the run, played with proper leverage and good hat-in-hand placement. He's always square to the line of scrimmage. Just a very skilled run defender, as most of those tied linemen are coming out of that program. He was very sound in both one- and two-gap concepts. Definitely a better fit that I saw at Alabama for the, the latter in the NFL. So more of a two-gapping guy. Uh, used his hands really well, not only to control the block early in the down, but to also shed and then flow to the football late. He was able to manipulate his man from snap to whistle in the run game. An above-average motor as well, and he will compete in the trenches. So from a negative standpoint, not truly explosive out of his stance, and even though he times the snap well, he did labor a little bit on that first step. He wasn't truly explosive upfield. Not a player that stood out athletically at his position. Didn't offer a ton of pass rush value at that time and I don't know that he's ever going to be an impact third third down player at the NFL level you know this is an area that I wanted to see him improve on throughout the course of his career uh, but I did notice that he did have some athletic limitations so the ceiling was going to be a, bit, a little bit limited there uh, he did play a little bit high at times especially when he wanted to just kind of pin his ears back and go as a pass rusher was never a full-time starter until he really entered his senior season so uh, instincts and stamina those things those were questions for me coming out of Alabama but Obviously, that was not the case because he jumped on uh, with the Giants right away and became a day one starter for them in that defense at nose tackle next to Damon Harrison. Uh, you know, My summary with this kid was coming out, Tomlinson wasn't a great pass rusher, but a skilled run defender, smart player, competed at a high level inside. He'll never be a dynamic disruptor, but I see a key cog up front on a three- or four-man line as a starter. He'll be a stout run defender as a one-tech nose tackle or as a three-four-five technique, and he could be a plug-and-play type of guy, a safe pick that should play for a long time but never make a Pro Bowl. Going back, looking at my notes, this kid has turned out pretty much exactly as I expected. It's still early, obviously. It's still only year two, um, but he's a really strong run defender. He's a very skilled player up front, and while he's not dynamic with his movement in any fashion, he does offer a little bit of pass rush value as a guy that can collapse the pocket, has a slow burn bull rusher. He's the kind of guy, Tomlinson, that I find to be very interesting. You know, and The reason I say that, it's kind of hard to find kids at his size, who are so skilled with their hands. He was technically sound coming from Alabama. So, yeah, it is hard to find guys with those elite first steps and freak show athleticism like Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald and Geno Atkins. Those guys, they don't grow on trees. That's why he goes in the top 15 and Dalvin Tomlinson goes in the early second round. But when I think back to when he was drafted, I know there were some that kind of raised their eyebrows and thought, you know, this kid was just a run stuffer. Why are they you know, taking him in the early second round? This guy is very valuable to the Giants' defense. You know, I think to, to the impact that Tim Jernigan had on this Eagles team a year ago inside, he's able to fill a similar type of role for a defense. And sure, it may not be sexy, but the ability is absolutely there for him to be a longtime starter, a valuable piece for them up in New York. And like I mentioned, I don't think he's ever going to make a pro ball Tomlinson, but he's just going to be a solid player for them up front for a long, long time. And you could do a lot worse early in the second round with a guy like that. Uh, to me, I want you know players like Kenny Clark from uh, the Green Bay Packers coming out of UCLA. I kind of saw him uh, in the same vein. I think there's a, a lot of those players, and there's a bunch in this year's draft. We talked about them a lot over on the Journey to the Draft podcast that kind of fit a similar vein. So uh, certainly Tomlinson, a guy that I'm very high on. I'm excited to watch him continue to develop 
Just not don't make any too too big a stride here this Thursday night against the Eagles. But great stuff here from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, take a few seconds, go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there. Like I said, I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.